John, welcome back. How are you? Good, thanks. Yeah, apologies for before I got jumped the gun on that one. I was too eager to speak to you and I brought you in early. But um, maybe you can just let people know uh, what it is you do. Well, I'm a writer, an anarchist writer. I, my books have to do with, uh, I think, a little bit more basic issues than the, <laughs> the last guest who, uh, and not to put words in your mouth, but all this woke, anti-woke, what the hell is he talking about? Talk about trivia. You know, that's just crazy. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's, he has it, a book called What's Killing America? How yeah. about What's Killing the Planet? What's Killing the Planet? Civilization is collapsing. Everybody knows that. The civilizations have come and gone, but now there's really only one. You know, it's based on capital and technology, different cultures, of course, but uh, this is a global thing. <clears throat> Civilization is everywhere. There's there's virtually nobody outside of it. There's a few indigenous people, but that's just about gone. And yet, uh, you know, there's all this stuff. Uh, how, you know, the... The metaphor, the elephant in the room, let's talk about a tiny part of the elephant or maybe not talk about it at all. Its existence uh, goes unrecognized. And like these people, you know, this, and then I could go on and on with this guy, this loathsome guy you just had on. But uh, what is what is important? What is, you know, does it not notice? I mean, look, every successive president whether it's a loathsome guy like Trump or whoever it is, a hack like Biden or whatever, things get worse, which every successive president, things get worse. It doesn't matter whether they're conservative or liberal because the problems are way deeper than that. They're much more basic. And so I just, it's so frustrating to see, and you know, billions of dollars are spent on this kind of trivializing discourse, which is not really a discourse. Okay, so a few few things to pick up there, uh, John. So, so I'm really looking forward to talking about this with an anarchist for sure. This is a, a rarity, so this is great. But you've mentioned there that things seem to get worse with every subsequent uh, president. Uh, I mean, compared to when, I suppose, would be the question. Uh, compared to forever, <laughs> because civilization running its course is more and more, for one thing, one basic thing, industrialization. Everybody knows that global warming is a function of industrialization. How much industry is there? It's an exact measure of, of uh, global warming and pollution and all the rest of it. Everybody, that's not a secret. You can notice that in the newspaper if you're paying attention. Everybody knows it. So uh, doesn't that kind of suggest that you want to do something about that? But sure, virtually so nobody is. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree uh, to a sad side. I, I would class myself as an environmentalist to an extent. It's one of the reasons I, I don't eat animals. I, I, the only, I suppose I'm slightly skeptical about whether or not humans can uh, reverse this at this point, whether we've crossed over the line and it's, it's far too late. Do you think we have any hope uh, in that regard? Well, there's lots of grounds to be skeptical, that's for sure. And I, I have no crystal ball. I don't know if, if all this will be challenged or not. Maybe not. Maybe people just keep on taking more and more drugs of one kind or another, or or who knows? You know, there'll be more people breaking down, but it, as the physical environment collapses, I mean, all these things are are very, very clear. There's no secret about what's going on. But, yeah, I don't know if anything's going to happen. Part of it is the problem of uh, access. You know, it's not. I'm not a respectable 
thinker. My books don't have, I have a small publisher, but it's, you know, I don't get to be on uh, media much. Uh, and now, of course, public speaking, I've spoken in a lot of countries around the world, but it's all on Zoom, like we're doing here right now. And I'm, I'm not, I'm not uh, condemning it. It's, it's the only game in town pretty much now. So you take advantage of it if you can to try to contribute to the dialogue and maybe ask deeper questions. What's the solution then to a, you know this really harmful capitalist system we we live in? Is it is it a better regulated system? Is it a complete alternative? Do you have a, an idea of what you'd like to see? Well, I think it's going to have to be something fundamental, or we're still on this suicidal path, this suicidal course. You know, it gets down to some fundamental stuff like domestication. You know, ten thousand years ago, the first you know domesticating plants and animals. I mean, that's that's where it really kicks in. That's where civilization is born and grows, becomes uh, virulent from that foundation. So that's that's a tall order. You know, how do you rewild or de-domesticate or decolonize? It's all, you know, every part of it goes forward together. It's a, it's a coherent, totalizing thing. It's not just, you can't just peel off one part of it and expect you're going to change anything basic. Yeah, I suppose I, just as a like um, on the opposite side of the coin here for this, uh, people like Stephen Pinker. Uh, I'm not sure if you're aware of his work, but he he's he sold a lot of books, basically arguing that you know progression has increased in certain so many metrics for humans over the years. You know, well-being, access to healthcare, uh, individual liberties, rights, uh, life expectancy, all kinds of uh, of things. And how do you tally that up with your kind of uh, uh, not to be pe too pessimistic, but it seems almost like a doomsday prediction? Well, it's it's kind of embarrassing for him, I'd say, because he does this cherry picking, which is really not very honest writing or thinking. Uh, well, I guess the bottom line is life expectancy, longevity. It's actually going down now. That used to be a very baseline argument against my kind of thinking. Well, people live longer. You know, the case closed. I mean, everything's getting better. Well, not so. Not, <laughs> hardly. In this COVID pandemic, there are going to be more pandemics. People are less healthy, less robust. I mean, I mean, count the ways. The, he would... He, tries to say things are way less violent, but he does that by a strange uh, overlooking of a lot of things that uh, are subject to violence. Uh, maybe, first of all, the species extinction, the great extinction that's galloping forward. I mean, go on and on. It's a really, I would be, uh, I would be ashamed to put out stuff like that. It's just sheer propaganda. You have a right to, you have a right to uphold the, uh, Civilization and its glories. Good luck with that. I mean, <laughs> really, the news is quite the opposite, and I think everybody knows that. No one. How many people can you actually find who? No, no, everything's fine. It's just getting nicer and healthier all the time. Incredible. What planet? Somebody uh, argues that it's hard to believe. Yeah, I mean, I suppose uh, as well as uh, a, a kind of. Um push back to, to that idea that we're you know we, we're healthy and we're living longer is this idea of mental health now now is it in your view that human beings their their mental health is deteriorating uh more so than in the past because 
of the system we find ourselves in? Is it possible we've just become much better at recognizing mental health, talking about it openly? It's less of a stigma now, less taboo. There's more support. I think uh, there's there's something to that. You know, for example, looking at autism, certain things weren't measured or looked at uh, maybe as much as they should have been, but that's not the main part of it. That is not the main part of it. Take, for example, alienation in society that afflicts so many people. And I think in the UK as well as the US and lots of other places too, I'm sure, loneliness and isolation. Epidemic is treated, it's referred to commonly now as a public health emergency. The technology was supposed to connect everybody. It's exactly the opposite. We're more and more isolated. We have less face-to-face contact. We have fewer friends. Pretty much every way you slice it, I mean, the machines connect with each other quite well, but not so much the people. And, you know, you can see, especially among the young, I think this is, I know it's true in the U.S., their mental health is just being shredded by smartphone addiction, to, to mention one specific thing. It's, a, it's horrible. Suicide rate is going up. I mean, I don't know who's going to really say, I mean, there are there are drugs, new drugs that can keep people alive, uh, and new technologies. For example, through wars, you get most of your limbs blown off and your brain scrambled forever, but you can m- maybe be kept alive through all the high tech uh, stuff. But uh, really, I mean, <laughs> is that a good measure of anything? I'm not sure. I mean, not that I don't want them to die. I, I don't want them to die, but some of it is artificial. Even the part that people can point to uh, is usually not exactly what is uh, the case. Yeah. I mean, going back to this idea of the the youth being negatively impacted by, you know, technology, smartphones, always being online, social media. I look at these things as some a guy who's nearly touching 40 and, and, and have the same views on that. But then I sometimes have to check myself and think, well, there's been a moral panic about every new generation uh, in, in regards to technology. I think, you know, TV was a big thing a while back. That was going to bring down civilization. Uh, and, and I'm just wondering, are we in danger of just catastrophizing the youth in a way that people of a certain age tend to do? Well, I see what you're saying. Yeah, there's there's something of that. But maybe you could look at it as they were right, but we've had to get used to it. We've had to, uh, whether it's the car or TV or whatever, uh, has the same bad effects, but uh, it won, you know. <laughs> so what's the point of... Uh, you know, it's the same thing about going back. Well, you can't go back. There's no going back. Well, really? You want to keep going forward to where everybody is so unhealthy and unhappy and, and uh, you know, the environment is uh, just about dead? I mean, what part of that uh, strikes one as a good idea to keep going forward with more and more? Uh, and, of course, now the high-tech stuff, the chatbots, you know, the AI stuff, is, and some of the people that have invented it actually – are wringing their hands and sounding the alarm, but it's probably going to be another one of those things. Well, get over it. Here it is. You know, what are you going to do about it? Unless you have a radical critique, which does want to get rid of it physically, actually, then you're just talking. You're you're just not, you're not uh, facing up to what, uh, what's going on. 
So I suppose, I mean, just to keep on this era of uh, area of technology, uh, and you've talked about not having face-to-face interactions, and of course, speaking to people in this way, there is that aspect of sort of psychological presence that's that's missing. But uh, just to give a, a case study from my own life, during lockdown, uh, when we weren't allowed to see each other, I, I managed to arrange poker nights and cinema nights with friends and family via a VR headset, which is literally a, a, a small TV strapped to my head. And I, I actually felt like I'd physically spent time with them the way that's constructed. And I suppose what my question would be, I suppose, what is wrong with that kind of thing? If you can get some value from it, why is, why is that kind of experience detrimental? Well, no, it's, that's fine. I mean, it, when people are in lockdown, I mean, you, you want to have some contact with people, whether it's, you know, technologically mediated, it, it must be in, in a case where, you know, millions of people are dying from COVID, even though some people deny it on the right. But, you know, yeah, I, I wouldn't take it away from anyone. But, you know, it gets down, one thing it gets down to is, where does all this come from? You know, the nice sleek uh, AI, all the computer stuff. It, you know, when you get down to it, it doesn't float down from the heavens. You know, it it depends on mining. It depends on the same old extractivism. Now, now we're going after the remaining rare earths and rare metals like lithium because, and and sea sea floor mining, got to keep doing that. You know, got to keep destroying the planet systematically to have the nice technology, the, the latest technology. Yeah, it doesn't come, uh, you know, in a nice package. It's got blood on its hands, so to speak, or pollution on its hands, at least. You know, that, but that's never really, almost never mentioned. You know, like the, like the take the, the cars that are, um, you know, quiet and they, they pollute less. But what does it take to build that car? You know, starting from the mining and the smelting and the plastics and everything else, that's a gigantic uh, blow to the environment yeah it pollutes less when it's operating but you know you, you're not supposed to look at the other part yeah so i mean i suppose if we, if we accept the all, all the issues you have with capitalism and ob- some obviously the, the kind of um pushback to that usually comes in the form of socialism or communism you yourself define yourself as a, an anarchist what what does anarchy or anarchism have to to offer in terms of solutions well, first of all, I'm not a leftist. The left has failed as much as anything else. I mean, in a, in a way, it never even tried. It never combated industrialism, almost never historically. Factories, fine, let's have more factories. Marx wanted everybody in the factories. You know, that's that's not where I'm at whatsoever. Uh, it's not, I mean, it's about capitalism, sure, but it's much deeper than that. Civilization is a wider, deeper problem of capitalism. You know, if you're just about uh, opposing capitalism, then yeah, you must be some kind of socialist. So you want the state running the industries. Well, that doesn't get you very, very far. Of course, you're not you're not breaking with the dominant uh, disease or you know progression that's uh, so destructive. No, it's 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 about uh, getting somehow it may never happen, but getting away from domestication from the you know the inner logic of domestication is control. Okay, that's that's a basic thing. More and more control, deeper control, down to the nanoparticle control, you know, nanotechnology and so forth. It's the same as it's always been, only it's just, you know, more rampant or virulent, you might say. And what do we get? What is the result? Is that a good, healthy path? 
obviously not. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people, I mean, would look at technology and say, look how much it's improved the quality of life. Look how much it's made, you know, certain things of uh, almost a te technological advancement, almost emanciated people from certain tasks and roles and manual labor and, and things like that. I mean, w in your perfect view of society, would people have to return to that that kind of thing in order for the civilization to meet the standard you want it to? Well, I'd say that's a fiction. Where has it liberated people? Think there's they're not still on the auto lines or or mining or warehouse work or no you got to have all that it hasn't you know back from the 50s automation everybody will be free they'll have free time people work more and more now than they ever have couples you know like I probably so in most countries uh, in in a regular two person couple family the guy worked. Uh, the woman and the mother stayed home. Now they're both working more and more. So, you know, that's just that's just fantasy to say that people are liberated. You know, even when you put in all the robotics and stuff, well, who who maintains that? Who builds the robotics? Who moves it around? Who services it? You know what I mean? It's it doesn't it doesn't happen like some god is liberating everybody somehow. No, no, it's that's not the way it's happened. Yeah, so I, I mean, are there any kind of um, philosophical figureheads you could point to who are who are kind of um, emblematic of this this ideology? People that have inspired you, or people you read that made you think this was the correct uh, you know worldview to take? Well, one person stands out, Jacques Ellul, the French uh, thinker. He wrote uh, in the fifties a book called The Technological Society, that was translated into English in the sixties. And he showed how it works. And and by the way, Ted Kaczynski recently uh, deceased Kaczynski. His man of so-called manifesto was really nothing more than putting Jacques Ellul's uh, rather dense abstract book into vernacular English. And he told me so. He admitted it uh, wasn't his original ideas. And what he's basically saying is. As the technology advances in society, people have less freedom and they have less meaning in their lives. And, uh, you know, that's, I mean, I won't go into that for you, but I mean, I think it's pretty persuasive. Are people more free or do they have more meaning now? Or do they have to confine their freedom to hobbies or some trivial thing like that in, in lieu or consumerism or what have you in lieu of actual freedom? Yeah, I mean, is, is there not some happy middle ground to be found here? Because I, I, I openly think that, for, for instance, having this smartphone supercomputer in your pocket at all times and being constantly connected can have a detrimental effect. I, I've been known to what they call as doom scroll, where you just find yourself captivated by something for far longer, and that's that's come at the cost of perhaps personal interactions or being productive. Is there not just a is a better way of dealing with that? Just kind of engendering this is a problem and you know, giving people the personal responsibility to regulate their time on these devices and look at them as not part of your life and lifestyle, but rather as tools to be accessed sparingly. Well, yeah, that's, it doesn't seem to be working though. It's, it's uh, <laughs> sadly enough, you know, I've been talking to people that pretty much identify as Luddites, at least in terms of smartphones. And every, every interaction is the same. My, my my what i get from talking to people and what they get from talking to people it's the same a 
smartphone is so such a waste of time. It's just so draining and empty and not the real thing. I'm getting I'm getting less and less and less out of it. And part two, I'm hooked. I'm addicted. I know how lousy it is, but I'm hooked. They'll tell you both things every time. That's you know I'm mainly talking to student age people. Uh, you know, people older like me are less prone to that. I'm, I'm I've never been very attracted to that stuff. I don't have a cell phone. Anyway, yeah, isn't that funny? People will you don't have a cell you. phone at all. No, no, I don't. So do you have a landline at home at all? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. You've you got to have some technology, you know. We, we we couldn't have this conversation without it, obviously. And I have a weekly radio show which streams around the world simultaneously. Wonderful technology. You know, it's almost quaint to call it a radio station, um, PWVA, because of the radio signal. I mean, especially my show, which isn't especially local. It's more mm, far-flung, you might say. Yeah, it's uh, – in fact, it's funny. I was arguing with our general manager – there were some technical problems and she said, well, people just get it on the radio and they go, the radio, you know, like uh, what, what decade are you in? You know? And, and then feeling, feeling weird because I'm the anti-tech person, but I'm arguing that the technology isn't sufficient for my show. You know, we're all trapped in it. I mean, you know, we're all part of it. It's funny. I mean, in terms of the impact technology's had on, say, art and culture, do we, and it all seems digitized now. It's all like, like streaming music, streaming films. And I'm a bit of an old soul in that regard. I like physical media. I collect vinyl uh, music nice. as well. There's something really nice about having a tactile piece of art in your hand, and it's, it takes physical effort to enjoy it uh, as well. It's almost like having a moment. Is this? Is this? Is it? This like streaming uh, everything in your pocket, a million songs, a million books, a million movies in this tiny little device. Is that having a detrimental impact on how we consume art and what we make of it? Well, there's a lot of been written about attention span. You know, it's kind of goes along with that. Uh, attention span, what's that? You know, it's just we're just flipping from one thing or another or scrolling from one thing to another. Yeah, it's and, you know, even worse, I guess, is the chatbot stuff. It writes plays, it can write novels, it can write music. It's not super good at it, but it's getting better every day. They're perfecting it. So where is the artist or the musician? I mean, it's it's incredible. It's scary. You know, the ma machine can do that. And you start to wonder, well, what was the value of that in the first place? If a machine can reproduce it, wow. I mean, where have we gone? I mean, it's just, you know, deepens the, deepens the questioning, unfortunately. It's just, it's scarier than we thought. Is it not a case of a, this sort of AI, AI technology being just another tool? It could be misused. It can also be used for a plethora of really useful tasks that could have, you know, significant uh, impact on how we perceive things, how we create, uh, you know, how quickly we get things done now. Well, I think it's more of a system than a tool. You know, it's it's to say it's a discrete, uh, neutral kind of a tool in the usual sense of the word tool. I don't think that applies all that well. You know, it's it's really uh, it's it involves more than that. You know, when you how do you well how do you pick out one tool from another? I mean, it's all it's all interwoven and and part of the bigger system, if you will. I mean, I think that's a way of 
you know, not that you are, but I mean, there's an ideological use to saying, oh, don't worry about technology. It's just another tool. You know, it's fine. It's just all in how you use it. What if it's not so much? Well, it's how you use it. Yes. But what is what if it's also about the nature of it? You know, what's embedded in it, inherent in it kind of thing. Then you then you have another discussion on a deeper level, I think. Yeah, I mean, artificial intelligence seems like the the discussion now in terms of technology, in terms of the ethical implications of it, where it's going to take us. Uh, a lot of people who are very well versed in AI seem unnervingly terrified about that where yeah. this might go. And I was just wondering, do, do you view AI as a, a potential existential threat? A lot of people are very scared about what it may be capable of. Oh yeah, I mean that's part of the whole thrust of it. And uh, some of these people. Back in the 90s, I think especially, we're so keen on the internet. Cyberspace, it's so wonderful. It's just going to be a utopian deal. And I can't think of the most well-known of them now, but some of them have come forward and saying, I was wrong. That, <laughs> that was not the nature of the beast. And now we see how it works, you know, what it is. I mean, it's, it's, it didn't turn out that way at all. It, there were people who wanted it to be that way initially, you know, well, it can be decentralized and so forth. It can be autonomous for people and connecting and so forth and so on. Well, has it worked out that way? You know, why has it gone really opposite to those values or those conditions? It's not a coincidence, I would say. Yeah, I mean, are we... And, and, you know, some of it is, some of it, I don't think it's the main part of it, but some of it is downright uh, deliberate. You know, the tech companies, they try to program for addictive qualities. And, you know, some of the big uh, high-tech mavens, the big CEO types and so forth, they don't let their kids go near it. Because they know. isn't it? Yeah. Isn't that amazing? It kind of gives it away. You know, they go to the Waldorf school or some, you know, pretty much anti-tech uh, outfit and they don't want their kids trapped and really poisoned by it. And yet they're making millions of dollars doing just that. Yeah. I mean, I, I, in terms of humans, in terms of how we've evolved and what, what, what our biologies used to or, or works best in, in the context of, I suppose we've kind of evolved to be part of small knit communities, haven't we? And, and tribes. And uh, do you think, suddenly being thrust into this global experience now where I can see something happening in real time on the other side of the planet in 4K definition. Do you think this is just a, a big issue in terms of how we've evolved? For us? Is, this, is this going to be helpful for us going forward? Well, I think you hit on possibly the most key point of all. You know, before domestication, we lived as hunter-gatherers in small face-to-face -face communities. I don't think the word community has much meaning anymore at all in mass society. You know, there's neighborhoods, there's clubs, uh, well, fewer clubs all the time, as uh, Putnam pointed out in bowling alone, even the bowling leaves are going away. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, there's a certain direction or momentum away from that. It starts to break down with, with agriculture. Domestication is just another word for farming, for private property, agriculture. And you think, well, how can you possibly condemn agriculture? Well, there's a fundamental shift there, away from eros and freedom of hunter-gatherer life uh, before organized violence. You know, it's true. And, you know, 
uh, people were stronger and uh, various things. Uh, then we started down the road of civilization with warfare and temples and, you know, kings and pharaohs and gods and everything, all the rest of it. Uh, yeah, it was not a good development. And that's why we're called primitivists, you know, green anarchy, anarcho-primitivists. It really does draw on the anthropology. Uh, and I, I discovered this quite by accident. My field was history until the 80s. I was doing work, uh, research, more Frankfurt School kind of stuff, social stuff. And I just happened on to some of the literature um, of anthropology and wow, it just changed my whole thinking. I mean, you know, it's the, the problem is very deep and the, you know, the development, the logic of it is, is clearer and what we've had to give up is clearer. And, you know, it's still there to some degree. I mean, you know, I put a fire in the stove at night and stare into the flames. Well, we've been doing that for like 3 million years as various human species you know, Homo erectus and so forth uh, over the years. And uh, and it went pretty well, really. It wasn't systematically destroying the environment or overpopulating. It was very stable at a low level. Now we've got 8 billion people, right? So it's not going to happen overnight if we try to, you know, reverse that somehow. Okay, John. Well, it's it's been a fascinating uh, conversation. Uh, I'm glad I'm glad you've come on to speak to us and, and, and share your worldview. Is there anything else you'd like to point people towards before I let you get back to your day? Oh, uh, well, not really. I'm I'm working on a memoir, but that won't be out till next year. I appreciate it, Stephen. Uh, and by the way, if anybody wants the the radio show is at KWVA Radio dot uh, org. It's college radio, basically, and I, I'm on every Tuesday night, and it's archived on my web. Web page website is johnzerzen.net for the recorded shows. Thanks for the chance to talk, Stephen. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, John. Take My care. Pleasure. You too. Bye now.